Today we're going to begin a series in Acts chapter 7. We're looking at the sermon of a man named Stephen. Stephen is significant for so many reasons. One, he was one of the first that was chosen to serve as a deacon when the very concept and office of deacon was first initiated. He was also a great preacher and evangelist. And so because of that, he encountered persecution and he was brought before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish high court of the day. And when he was asked to give an offense, instead of trying to defend himself, he proclaimed boldly the message about Christ and the hope that's found in him. And because of that, they stoned him to death. And so Stephen not only becomes one of the first deacons, but he becomes the absolutely first Christian martyr. That is, a Christian who would die out of persecution for their faith. And so Stephen has an awful lot to share with us today. And as we look at his message, Stephen walked the Sanhedrin through the history of ancient Israel and showed how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those promises. And so today, as we begin to think about where we are, I know many of us today are probably not Jews. Uh, There might be some here today that you have some Jewish blood in you, but most of us are Gentiles. And yet, God's promises are as true for us as they were for Old Testament Israel because God has always been about calling the people unto himself and saving all those who would believe and trust in him. And that's the message that Stephen had for the Sanhedrin. So Acts chapter 7, we're going to look today at verses 1 through 8. I want to ask you to stand with me as we read this together. Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. Here's what the Bible says. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the place that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us to have faith like Abraham and faith like Stephen. May we believe and proclaim this message of how you have brought us redemption and salvation. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Stephen is uh, preaching, and Stephen is preaching very powerfully. People are listening, and people are being converted. And so the Sanhedrin, who does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, are very disturbed about this. And so the Bible tells us in the previous chapter that they had men to trump up charges that he was speaking against Moses and against the law. And so as he comes before 
the Sanhedrin as he speaks, and the, and the chief priest says, are, are these things so? These things that he's referring to is, is Stephen really preaching against the temple and preaching against the law of Moses? And so what Stephen, in effect, does in his message is he shows them that they neither understand the temple nor the law and that he is not preaching against either, but instead he is proclaiming the one who is the fulfillment of both. For all the Old Testament law and prophecies all point to him, that is, Jesus Christ. And so as Stephen begins to recall God's work throughout history, he begins with Abraham and the call of faith that God gives to Abraham. And you know, one of the things that we see, the message he had for the Sanhedrin was that God called his people to respond in faith long before the temple existed. And I know for many of us today, the temple doesn't have any significance, but understand that in the first century, all worship was centered around the temple. And so as they said to Stephen, are you preaching against the temple? Stephen pointed out to them that long before that temple had ever been built, God was calling people to faith. And here's the implication of his teaching. Is that God is still calling us to have faith and to believe. And you see, if the Sanhedrin had believed, if they had listened to John the Baptist and been prepared, when Jesus came, they would have received his message and they would recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. Stephen begins by referencing the glory of God, something that should never be confused with a building, which the Sanhedrin had clearly did. You see, Stephen reminded the Sanhedrin that the same God that filled the temple with his glory called Abraham before the temple was ever built. Listen to what he says in verse 2. It says, The God of glory, the God of glory, appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Throughout the Old Testament, the glory of God refers to the presence and the activity of God. And as Stephen was brought in and they said, are you preaching against this place? And Stephen says, well, let me tell you how God has worked. Long before this place ever existed, in a country far from here, the God of glory appeared to our father, Abraham. The Sanhedrin knew that in times past, God's glory had filled the temple Second Chronicles 7, 1 through 2, tells about when the temple was dedicated, when Solomon's temple was first built. The Bible says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And so the Sanhedrin says to Stephen, are you preaching against this place? And he says, let me tell you about the God of glory that appeared to our father Abraham. The same God of glory that had once filled the temple. As Solomon built that very first temple. Not the one that they were in at that day. It had been destroyed and rebuilt. But the very first temple. And Solomon offered the prayer of dedication. And the glory of God came down like fire and filled that place. Stephen was about to preach to them about the glory of God, but it didn't have anything to do with the building. He was preaching about the one who was foreshadowed through that building. You see, the temple was but a shadow of the access to God that Jesus Christ would provide through his sacrificial death on the cross. 
Jesus taught this as he talked about the temple. John chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? In the next two verses, the Bible gives us commentary explaining what Jesus was talking about. John, as he had reflected for many years and probably wrote his gospel about 60 years after this had took place, he, he now understood with greater insight and being inspired by the Holy Spirit, he explains this to us. It says, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. You see, Hebrews teaches us that the temple, the priest, and the sacrifice were all a mere shadow of the reality that was to come. Think about the temple and the purpose of the temple. The temple was the central place of sacrifice where people would come and they would offer a sacrifice in order to atone for their sins. And yet when Jesus died on the cross, he died as our sacrifice. He died as our sacrifice to atone, that is to cover our sin. And Hebrews teaches us that all those lambs, all those goats, all those bulls that were offered, no one's sin was ever forgiven because of their death or because of their blood. But they merely foreshadowed the one that would come and truly pay for our sin. That's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus come and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the temple was the place where people went to have their sin covered. It was also the place where they went to experience the presence of God. The temple was built in a series of concentric rings. And based on who you were and what office you were serving in, determined how far you could go. And the most inner place, the Holy of Holies, could only be entered by the high priest and could only be entered once a year to offer the sacrifice for the people. For in that place where the Ark of the Covenant sat, dwelt the glory of God. But do you remember what the Bible tells us what took place when Jesus died on the cross? That veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Because, your friend, we no longer need the temple to have access to the presence and the glory of God. Having seen Jesus, we have seen his glory. And having believed in him, we can have access to God. And so Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin. They said, is this true? Are you preaching against the temple? Are you preaching against the Old Testament law? And Stephen said, let me tell you about the temple. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham in another place, in another country, before this temple was ever built. You see, the Sanhedrin did not understand that the physical building was a mere shadow of the reality to come in Jesus Christ. Abraham came to faith not through the temple. The Bible says in Genesis 15, 6, about Abraham it says, and he believed the Lord 
and listen to this, and he counted it to him as righteousness. You see, Abraham believed and trusted in God, and therefore it was counted to him as righteousness. The word righteous means to be in right standing before God. It doesn't mean that one has never sinned, but it means that one's sins has been paid for. So that having our debts paid, we are made right and in a right relationship with God once again. And the Bible says that Abraham believed and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Some people believe that there's one way that people were saved in the Old Testament and another way that people are saved in the New Testament. But nothing could be farther from the truth. People have always been saved through faith. Abraham. Before the tabernacle, before the temple, before the Pharisees, before the Sadducees, before the Old Testament prophets, Abraham was saved through faith. You see, faith is the only way that anyone has ever been saved. It's the way that we're saved today, and there'll never be a time in the future that anybody will be saved any other way. God has always been calling us to come in faith and to believe and to trust in Him. And the Bible says that Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 25, Paul explains this. There's no better commentary on Scripture than Scripture itself. And so listen to what the Scripture says. In hope, he believed against hope. That that is Abraham, that's who he's talking about. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was, quote, counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul, as he talks about Abraham, sometimes we lose perspective because we know the rest of the story. But if we think about Abraham, when God called him to faith, Very little of the story had yet been written. Abraham didn't have the prophets. He didn't have the temple. He didn't have the church for sure. It was just Abraham and God. Abraham didn't even have a son. He had a wife who was barren. And now at almost 100 years of age, there was no possible hope of him ever having an heir. And yet, Paul tells us that Abraham believed in hope. He believed against hope. This, this phrase, we, we might say today that he believed with all his heart. See, Abraham believed completely in the promise of God. He didn't know how God was going to do it. And he didn't know what God was going to do. You notice what God called him to do? He said, go to a place that I will show you. He didn't even tell Abraham where he was going to go. And he told him he was going to give him an heir. But Abraham, being almost 100 years old, his wife's been barren all this time. 
He had no idea how God was going to give him an heir. So he didn't know how, he didn't know where, he didn't know when, but he believed. He had faith. Because he had faith, that faith was credited to him as righteousness. The Bible says in verse 23, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. You see, Abraham did not need these words to be written for him to be saved. He was saved through his faith. But the Bible recorded this so that you and I might understand how a person is saved. Paul says that these words were not just written for Abraham, but it was written for our sake as well. So that we might understand if we desire to be righteous, that we acquire righteousness through faith. Through faith. As the Sanhedrin brought in Stephen, they said, are these things true? Are you really preaching against the temple? And Stephen said, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. You see, one of the major themes as we go through this message is Stephen's going to constantly point out how God worked outside of Israel and outside of Jerusalem. Because you see, friend, God is not bound to a place. Abraham was not in Jerusalem when God called him. The Bible says in verse 2, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Iran. Mesopotamia was modern-day Iraq and Syria to the north of Israel. Abraham was living in a different country, in a totally different region when God called him. Because God is not bound to a place. Jesus told the woman at the well that Jerusalem would no longer be the central place of worship. Listen to what he said to her in John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. He said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. And she was a Samaritan. That's why he's talking about this controversy about Mount Gerizim where the Samaritans built a temple in Jerusalem. He said, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. As Jesus spoke to this woman, he clarified that God was not bound to a place, and neither was his worship bound to a particular location. The Sanhedrin said to Stephen, are you preaching against this place? And the message that Stephen is going to expound to them is, no, I'm not preaching against this place. I'm preaching for this place, for this place pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has come and he has died so that we might live. And now we are no longer bound to this particular place of worship because God is everywhere. Because even when our father Abraham was off in another country, that's when God called him. And Jesus would say to this woman at the well, Jerusalem will no longer be the central place of worship. David, David wrote about the omnipresence of God. In Psalms 139, verses 7 through 10, listen to what he said. He said, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. David understood it was not possible to flee from God. Jonah learned this the hard way. The Bible says that Jonah tried to, here's the words, flee from the presence of the Lord. And Jonah, as he was out in the sea, in the Mediterranean, he discovered that God was above the sea and God was under the sea. Trying to flee from the presence of God, it's like trying to close your eyes so nobody can see you. It reveals you just don't understand how it works. There's nowhere that we can go to be away from the presence of God. He is everywhere. And we can worship him, whether we're in church, whether we're at work, whether at home. It doesn't matter what country we live in or where we are on this globe. God is there. And so as the Sanhedrin said to Stephen, are you preaching against this place? And he said, no, I'm not preaching against this place. I'm preaching about the God who is, who is not bound by this place. For the place pointed to him, he doesn't point to the place. Stephen proclaimed later in verses 47 and 48 as he's wrapping up his sermon. He said, it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. Does this mean that the temple should not have been built? No. It, it, it means that the temple had a purpose until the death of Christ on the cross. And at that moment, the temple became obsolete. For having seen the reality, no one needs the shadow anymore. And so Jesus came. He paid for our sins. He gave us access to God. He fulfilled all that the temple had pointed to and tried to teach people about what we need in relationship to God. One of the things that we see as is, is Stephen begins to talk about Egypt is that God is constantly working in history you think about Abraham you see Abraham's place in God's plan was to look forward to the promise Abraham had not yet experienced anything he hadn't gone anywhere he didn't even have a child nothing but he had a promise God promised that he was going to give him a land God promised that he was going to give him an heir God promised he was going to make him into a great nation and Abraham believed. The role of Abraham at that time was to look forward in faith in anticipation of the fulfillment of the promises of God. As he talks about the Exodus in verses 6 through 7, listen to what Stephen says. He says, And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. The Exodus demonstrates that God has plans far beyond Jerusalem. And this was Stephen's point as he points out to them God calling Abraham in Mesopotamia and God making promises to preserve the people in Egypt. That God is not bound to that place. But his plan extends far beyond. 
And so Jesus, as he would call us and commission us to be his disciples, what did he say to those early disciples? He said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That was the city. In Judea, that was that surrounding region. And then ultimately say to the uttermost parts of the world. Because God's plan extends beyond Jerusalem and beyond the temple. And I'm thankful for it because I'm neither Jew nor am I born in Jerusalem. But having been part of God's plan throughout the world, I can be, as the Bible says, grafted in to the family of God. You see, the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, it declares the faithfulness of God. Listen to verse 8 of what he said. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. You and I who, if we've been raised in church or in Sunday school, are so familiar with this story. We, we hear that Abraham became the father of Isaac, and we yawn, and we just, we know it, we've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it. We, we already know that he's the father of Isaac, but we forget the miracle that took place. As a man who was almost 100 years old, married to a barren wife that probably most of their life they tried to have children, and could not. And God miraculously gave them a son. And God gave them a son because he had a plan for Abraham's life. And he called him to faith in obedience. And he gave him a promise. And in this verse, verse 8 that we just read, Stephen points out that the promise has been fulfilled. God has delivered. And the message that he has for you and I is that if God has always been fulfilling his promises, surely you and I can trust him to fulfill his promises to us as well. Abraham had a place in history. His place was at the very beginning of God calling a nation unto himself. He looked forward in faith, seeing nothing. No heir, no patriarchs, no prophets, no tabernacle, no temple, no church. Nothing. But God called him, and he believed. Stephen stood so much later than Abraham. He stood on the same side of the cross as you and I. Stephen, having seen God raise up David as a king, who had foreshadowed the reign of Christ. He saw the tabernacle built. He saw Solomon build the temple. Then he saw Jesus come. Stephen, a man who heard and believed and served. And God called Stephen in his day to be a witness to the Jews. And today, almost 2,000 years later, we, we stand here. We stand here looking back at all that God has done. And our place in history is to look forward to God's continued fulfillment of his promise. To believe, as the scripture says, that just as Christ has come, that he will one day come again. How is a person saved? It's not through a place. It's not through the temple. It's not through a church building. It's certainly not through good works, although that's another sermon for another day. It's by faith. Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. These words were written not only for his sake, 
but for ours as well. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us to have the same faith that Abraham had. Help us to have the boldness of Stephen. And Lord, I pray that just as they were counted as righteous, we too, through our faith, might be counted as righteous before you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. One of the problems that the Jews had is they leaned on their heritage. Instead of building upon it, they, they leaned upon it. They thought because Abraham was their father that they would be saved. Friend, no person is saved because of their heritage. If your parents, grandparents were great godly people, that's a wonderful heritage. It's a great legacy. But you and I can't be saved because of it. We can only build upon it with our own faith. Because every person must come to the point in their life that they decide for themselves whether or not they will believe and trust in God. Every person must make their own decision. Do they believe? And just as God called Abraham to believe, and Abraham believed, the Bible says, in hope he believed against hope. Seeing nothing, he believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And the same offer extends to us today. For this was written not just for his sake, but for ours as well. And so today, if you would believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you too could be credited as righteous. So I want to ask you today, would you take a moment and just be honest with yourself? I'm not going to ask you to respond to me. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just asking you, would you just be honest with yourself for a moment? Do you truly believe and have you trusted in Christ? This morning, if you realize there's just never been a time when you've given it all to the Lord and said, Father, I, I believe and I depend upon you then I'm going to invite you, when we sing, would you just pray and talk to the Lord? He'll hear you. We're, we're not in the temple. We don't need to be. We're in church, but that doesn't really matter either, for God is everywhere. But gathered in this assembly right now, if you would pray to the Lord, He would hear your prayer, and He would answer. And so I want to encourage you today, if you've never trusted in God, trust in Him today. Trust in Him today. We don't get an unlimited number of chances to make our decision about where we stand with Jesus Christ. And today God has given you this moment. Will you believe and trust in Him? Maybe there's some other decision you need to make. If you need somebody to pray with you, that's, that's why I'll be here at the front. You can come. You can pray at the altar. Whatever you need to do, let's do it now as we sing. Let's stand together.